I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. We are in the Parinirvana session. This is talk three. Are you enjoying the silence? Can you feel into it? Can you hear it? Silence right on the other side, always right on the other side of thought. This vast ocean of silence. Have you let yourself go into it? Dissolve into it? What happens? Does this silence beckon you? Is it calling to you? Perhaps that's why you came here. David White says, silence is frightening. Silence is frightening. An intimation of the end. An intimation of the end, the graveyard of fixed identity. Silence is frightening. Real silence puts any conceptual understanding to shame orphans us from certainty, orphans us from certainty. In silence, essence speaks to us of essence itself, asks for a kind of unilateral disarmament, our own essential nature slowly emerging as the defended periphery, the defended periphery of self atomizes and falls apart. Opening to silence is opening to dying. Those who have been with someone days or hours before they die or as they're dying or right after they've died often speak of a palpable, observable, cool blanket of silence, luminous silence, heavy 
silence. As the dying person retreats from the surface of life or pulled into the depths, pulled away from the doing, the being, the becoming, the doing, the becoming, the thinking, retreats back into essence itself, dies, dissolves into this great silence. The surface uncertainty that the ego has about itself and the world, the dying person does not have anymore. Practitioners, practitioners I know who have sat with a dying person often compare it to session. Here we too are dissolving, dissolving the defended territory of self, melting fixed identities, shedding views, distractions, arguments, and returning over and over again, returning to the great silence. Share a koan from The Hidden Lamp, which is a collection of koans from the awakened women uh, masters. And this one, I think, originally comes from the Ehe Kuroku, which is a collection of koans by Dogen Zenji. This is Seven Wise Women in the Charnel Ground. Seven wise sisters planned a spring journey. One of them said, Sisters, instead of going to a park to enjoy the spring flowers, Let's go together to see the charnel grounds. The others said, That place is full of decaying corpses. What is such a place good for? The first woman replied, Let's just go. Very good things are there. When they arrived, one of them pointed to a corpse and said, There is a person's body. Where has the person gone? What? Another said. What did you say? And all seven sisters were immediately enlightened. Indra, lord of the gods, was moved by their awakening and showered flowers down onto them. And a stop there goes on. But that's a lot. Seven wise sisters, instead of going to the park to look at the spring flowers, one of them says, let's go to the charnel grounds. Let's go to the charnel ground. In a way, we all had a similar conversation with ourselves. 
before deciding to come to session. And specifically deciding to come to this session where you know you will be encouraged to look at the realities of this life. Realities such as you are dying. You will die. Everyone you know is dying. Everyone you know will die. This includes your children, your grandchildren, your partner, your friends, your parents, grandparents, colleagues, co-workers, lovers, nieces, nephews, siblings, pets, teachers, mentors. Everyone will die. Everyone is dying. Pema Chodron popularized a practice slogan by Matchik Lubdrung, who's a, a famous Tibetan female Buddhist master, teacher. And that slogan is, go to the places that scare you. Another slogan that isn't so popular doesn't make quite as good of a book title, is turn to that which you find repulsive. In Zen, we say, look honestly at the realities of life. Session helps us to do this. In a way, it keeps us, in a way, it keeps it right in front of our faces keeps our vow and practice in the forefront with these constant reminders, constant encouragements from teachers, from the sangha, from the schedule, continuously putting us back, putting us back into relationship with reality, with what is really happening here. And in here, so to speak. And so gently, and maybe at times not so gently, we're asked to pay attention. To really pay attention, to stay in the fire of our inquiry. To really come to confidence as to the truth of this life the truth of what's going on here, the truth of what is this? Who am I? What dies? And what does it mean to be truly alive in this moment? Because I am. You are. Right? And of course, the sisters resist. That place is full of corpses. What is such a place good for? I could imagine someone who didn't quite know what session was or a Zen monastery was, happened by, walked in the door, and saw us all sitting 
not saying anything, might wonder, this place is full of corpses. What is such a place good for? Perhaps we all have our own chorus of resistance. Seemingly wise but rebellious parts that sing the same tune, these voices of doubt. This place is full of corpses. These people are fanatics, way too interested in death, morbid. They should lighten up. What good is contemplating death? The Buddha was a bit of a masochist. I'm not interested in death. I just want to live. The mind has so many strategies to try to distract us, to pull us away from practice, our own version of doubt and resistance I'm sure you've encountered. And this comes up especially when the mind's afraid. You may have noticed this as well. What could the mind be afraid of during session? Its own death? That you are serious enough about this practice that you might actually see through the mind's magic tricks. The magic tricks of thought that keep us in this feeling of separation, of desperation. See through this illusion we call a self. This is from the Dhammapada. When the Buddha was awakened, she said to her mind, house builder, you're seen. House builder, I see you. You will not build a house again, your rafters broken, your ridge pole destroyed. What would it be like to catch the mind in action and say, hey, I recognize you. I know your tools. I know your tricks. I know your strategies. And you're not setting up shop anymore. You can, but I see through it. See all those strategies of the self as illusory, as dreamlike. That's what we're doing. We watch the house get constructed, then we watch it dissolve. And we watch it get constructed, and we watch it dissolve. And we see that enough times we can recognize, oh, that's not me. That's just thought. That's just the mind holding on to a thought. It's not true. It's not wholly true. The sisters say, well, that place is full of decaying corpses. What is such a place good for? Another way of thinking of these decaying corpses is the corpses of thought. What corpses have you laid to rest during session? You ever notice how you carry dead people around in your mind? How something happens maybe five years ago, maybe five minutes ago when you were in line for the bathroom and someone gave you an angry look, or so your mind says. 
It was angry. They were definitely angry at me. And so we carry this angry corpse, this solidified version of someone in a moment, and we carry it around for how long? For how long are we reacting to that look or that conversation from three weeks ago or that feeling I got when I saw that person from 10 years ago. I can recognize and begin to recognize more and more how I carry an unloving mother with me. My mother is many people, and she can be dismissive, but she's also supportive, caring, kind, vulnerable, and afraid. But I can concretize her into being unloving, unsupportive from this one memory, even like a piece of a memory from childhood, and let that stick, continue to react to it, continue to believe that that's true. And this is true of all people. They contain multitudes, yet the habit of mind is to concretize them to make them into that one moment, that one way, that one quality. And then carry that quality around as a caricature of a person. I am carrying a corpse. Can I let it go? Can I let them go? Can I let them be a whole person? Can I release them with loving kindness and compassion? This is from Khandro Rinpoche. When we look back at the time of death, the experiences of this life will seem like a dream. And just as with our nighttime dreams, it will seem useless to have put so much effort into it. When we look back on our lives at death, the amount of time we spent in hesitation aggression, ignorance, selfishness, jealousy, hatred, self-preservation, and arrogance will seem like an equally useless exertion of energy. So be able to regard all these illusory thoughts and concepts as dreams within this illusory existence. What if anything is the logic behind any stubbornness, distraction, hesitation, or habitual emotions of aggression, desire, selfishness, selfishness, and jealousy. Back to the koan. So six of the sisters voice, that place is full of decaying corpses. What is such a place good for and one sister says well let's go good things are there and somehow that sister who had faith clarity probably a lot of compassion and a big view is listened to turns the other six sisters minds and convinces them 
to go. They listen to her. They listen to her faith and clarity. They listen to her compassion. In my experience and practice, faith and trust is cultivated and it's hard won. It's cultivated with every moment we return. Every moment we come back to presence. It's cultivated through whatever object we're using to return. It's cultivated through the breath, through listening. It's cultivated through sitting minute after minute after minute, hour after hour after hour, day after day after day, sitting in this body and letting the mind and body settle, settle, settle. It's cultivated by coming back to ourselves, facing ourselves honestly, honestly. And it's hard won through experience, sitting through pain, body in pain, mind in pain, making every creative effort to stay present, and then seeing that you can, seeing that you are, that there is space between sensations of intensity that we call pain, space surrounding pain, Peace greater than pain. Seeing that what we call pain is unfindable when we really look. Unlocatable when we really look with honest curiosity and a willingness to go into it. And we find Faith is hard one, that it is possible to practice loving, loving kindness and self-compassion for the part of us that is in pain. Faith is hard one, sitting into the silence of mind. Sitting into the silence of mind and watching the body's anxious energy arise kind of panic, fear response setting in. What is that? What is that? Faith is the glimpse of the quiet mind, the glimpse of your own vastness. Faith is the glimpse of the settling into, even for a moment, that vast silence of mind. And faith is a glimpse at how the defense mechanism sets in, how the mind reconstructs itself. And we see that reconstruction, just like the Buddha said, we see the house being built. And we can have faith that we're not the house. We're not that fear. We saw something that is much 
bigger than that fear. Faith is a taste of the illusory nature. And faith comes through experience and deepens with experience. It's one through the hours of sitting on the cushion honestly, nakedly attending to the present without trying to get anything, seeing oneself directly as we're showing up moment to moment. So then one of the sisters points to a corpse and says, there is a person's body. Where has the person gone? There is a person's body. Here is a person's body. Let's feel into this body. This person's body sitting right here. If you want to take the time to adjust your posture to a brief guided meditation. Fill this body with awareness. Feel the height of the body from the top of the head down the spine. Include the trunk and the parts of the body that are making contact with the cushion, bench, chair, floor. Feel the height of the body and the width of the body out through the arms, the limbs, shoulders, and the depth of the body. Become aware of the skin that covers this entire body. This bag of skin. Bring your attention, your awareness to the surface of the body, the skin. And like we did yesterday, let the skin dissolve. Dissolve the skin and sit as a muscle body, a meat body. Without the characteristics you usually associate with my face. Dissolving the skin and the hair, the surface layer of the body, it's so thin. Sitting as muscle, organs, blood, bones.
Now take off the fleshy layer of the body, fat cells. And begin to dissolve the muscles, starting with the muscles in the face, neck, shoulders, arms and hands. Upper back, chest. Trunk, abdomen. Seat, legs, feet. And then start to dissolve the organs, tongue, spleen, stomach. liver, kidneys, sexual organs, intestines. Lungs. Heart and blood vessels. Then dissolve the tendons, the ligaments, dissolve the brain, the nervous system, and release all the way to the bones. Bones and teeth. Feel this body now as a skeleton. Sit in your bones. Let your awareness sink bone deep. Feel the deep stillness and peace within the bones. Be a skeleton. Let what we normally think of as the breath 
be a gentle breeze blowing through the bones, caressing the bones, dancing with your bones. what we normally think of as a heartbeat, gentle sunlight, warmth beating on these bones. And whatever thoughts arise, let them be gentle whispers from distant people. Talking about who knows what, it doesn't concern you. Perhaps you don't really even understand what's being said or shown. Sit as a skeleton that's been dead for 100 years. Open your empty eye sockets and see with your bones, receive light and form and color, whatever you receive. Perhaps take note of the other skeletons in this room, in this charnel ground. You can continue practicing with sitting as a skeleton during this session and picturing seeing the other skeletons moving around the monastery, sitting with you. This is one of my favorite practices. I do it every session. I almost do it every day. In the early years of practice, I had a very, 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 very busy mind and was quite anxious. And it was really, really difficult for me to meditate, but I really wanted to meditate. Uh, So Chosen gave me this practice of sitting as a pile of bones that's been dead for a 100 years. And one of the things that practice did is it brought me into my body in a deep, really foundational way and also made me so uninterested in my anxious thoughts. It's such a gift.
Where does the person go when we're sitting as a skeleton? When we're sitting as a skeleton that's been dead for a hundred years, where does the personality go? When we release awareness into this moment, when we really release without word or story, when we give up trying to get it right, when we let go of the part of the mind that is constantly keeping track, that knows it's the afternoon of day two and we are 40 minutes into the talk and then we'll have kinhin and go stretch in the guest area and sneak into the cafeteria and drink some tea. The silent tracker that's always holding us into a position, placing us in time and space. And this is, I think, particularly relevant for those of us who've been practicing session at the monastery or live here or have lived here for a number of years, that there's a lot of familiarity to the schedule and to our place here and to our relationships with people here. That that part of the mind that's just like, it knows what's going on. How do we release that? That wants to count the hours, wants to count the days, wants to figure it out some way. It's constantly keeping track or referencing us in relationship to place, to time, to people. What is it like to release that part? To stop leaning into the future. To stop trying to get something else. Be it wisdom, be it a different state of mind. What is it to just let go? To die to the future. At least for this session. At least for this breath. And this breath. And this breath. What? What did you say? said one of the sisters. And at that, all seven sisters awoke. Awakening. Being fully alive right now. Right here. The only place we can be. That is what this is all about. Trusting your life. Trusting your life. Trusting your life and allowing it to shine. The next part of this koan has Indra, the Lord of the Gods, being so moved by the awakening of the seven sisters that he showers flowers from the heavens. Being awake, in, being awake to this life is a moment of grace. If contemplation of death has gotten too heavy for you, nihilism or confusion is setting in or spinning the mind, 
bring in appreciation, joy, kindness, compassion. Come in contact with the miracle of simply being alive right here, right now. Recognize you are alive. That's precious. How much do we go through life without recognizing this? Recognize that you are aware. That's freedom. See. Really see. Colors are miraculous. And they're shining brightly for you right now. This radiant display of your own awareness. Rainbow light dancing, creating form. It's like magic. This magic, we call it life. We call it wall, floor. Call it sky, plant, hand, skeleton, flower. Byron Katie has this beautiful practice called the morning walk. And the way you do it is you walk around and everything that comes into your awareness, you name as if you were God naming things for the first time. I bring that in because that practice itself questions, do things exist outside of your mind? We act like they do. Or do they come to be at the moment you become aware of them? Do they arise together with your awareness? Are we always co-creating the universe? Are we always co-creating the universe, ourselves, and the world, born anew together every moment? Letting go, being born, letting go, being born. We thought that was a simple practice Chosen had us doing in the beginning of session. That's the way things are. We're in touch with that. And when we're in touch with that, we're like children of illusion. Can we allow ourselves this grace? I wish you awe. Wish you deep respect and care as you live into and wake up to this life, this life, as you appreciate this life. 